Hello and welcome to the college football edition of Unqualified Analysis brought to you today by your hosts, Zach and Caleb. And today we've got a pretty good packed show for you. We had week eight of college football where the ACC and the Big Ten are starting to clear up a little bit and who might be in contention for the playoffs. Spoiler alert, the ACC has no contenders this year. We had a big weekend for the state of Oklahoma as Oklahoma faced Kansas in a game that should not have been as close as it was and Oklahoma State played horribly against another unranked team. We had the American Conference race really heating up as SMU and Cincinnati both won. And finally, we had the World Series. Uh, Game 1 just happens. We're recording this before Game 2 happens, but we're going to give our thoughts on the Braves and the Astros. So with that, before I go over the college football recap, I want to make note that literally 10 minutes before we recorded this, it was just announced that Mark Ingram is being traded from the Texans to the Saints. Right now, we don't have the details, but I have to say, welcome back, buddy. Oh, welcome home, man. Welcome home. You're one of the first first round picks that I got to experience as a Saints fan and you're a fan favorite in New Orleans and it was so sad seeing you leave even if it was to another hometown team with the Ravens and it feels right to see you back in a black and gold. Yeah Mark Ingram belongs in New Orleans I mean it it just it just makes all the sense in the world Welcome home, my man. It must be much better than being with the Texans, too. Uh, I can I can say definitively, yeah. Yeah. So, with that, we're going to swap back to college football, where we're going to go right off the bat with the SEC. We had LSU versus Ole Miss. There were not too many questions here. I kind of expected this result. LSU lost by a couple of touchdowns. It was a bit worse than a couple of touchdowns, though, as LSU had absolutely nothing going on offense. On LSU's side, Coach O's already out the door. We've had multiple injuries come through, like half the defense is either injured or just opted out at this point. So LSU's going to be lucky to win more than two, maybe three games for the rest of the season. They're on by this week, thank God. But on the other side, Ole Miss looks very solid on offense, despite being a little slow in the first quarter. Matt Corral casually had 6,666 yep. career passes. Little suspect to enter this Little game. Little suspect, that's all I'm He's saying. He's probably not going to beat Eli Manning. I mean, you got it. I'm just saying here, this is definitive proof that he sold his soul to the devil to play QB at Ole Miss, which I'm just saying, if you're going to sell your soul, make a deal with the devil, why would you pick Ole Miss? We got to start looking at Matt Corral's decision making going forward here because I don't know, man. I would go to Alabama. Maybe Oklahoma if I was a QB. Why Ole Miss if you're making a deal with the devil, Matt? That's what I want to know. Golden Corral's getting a little suspect. I think it's an easier path for him, though. Think about the quarterbacks that Ole Miss has had. I mean, really, it's just like Eli Manning. Yeah. (laughs) Like Eli Manning and Chad Kelly and Archie Manning. That's like it, you know? Exactly. And so now Matt Corral can add his name. I mean, shit, he might be Matty Heisman by the end of the year with the way that he's been playing. Fucking Matty Devil Horns with that passing number. You're not fooling me, bud. We're going to move to a slightly more kosher game after that, though. There's not a whole lot to talk about here. You need to cleanse the area. Yes. We have Bama versus Tennessee, which it was very close at the beginning. It was like 21 to 14, 24 to 21 at halftime. I have to give props to Tennessee for sticking in the game as long as they could. It seemed like Hendon Hooker was actually pretty solid. He threw for just under 300 yards, had a hat trick of touchdowns and only one pick. 
But Bama did their thing, and it was 52-24 to by the end. Yeah, I think Hendon Hooker is probably the perfect QB for Josh Heupel at this point in his uh, his coaching career. He's a guy that can come in and stabilize the situation for a year. They're talking about giving him another year of eligibility next year so he can come back and play again. But he just stabilizes the program, gives him a solid QB option while Heupel develops the next guy in line. I think it's a, a perfect situation for him. And, I mean, watch out for Tennessee going forward, man. Heupel's got him playing. I told you last week he got him playing. They went up against Bama this week, but hey, they kept it closer than Mississippi State, which is crazy, man. Yeah, and I've got to give some respect to Josh Heupel because when Scott Frost left that UCF team that went undefeated, he was able to keep the ship rowing afterwards, even with Mackenzie Milton going down with injury. He is one of those quality coaches who really hasn't gotten a whole lot of praise just because I feel like it was a large timing thing for him where he wasn't the coach to take them undefeated. He was the coach after the coach who did it. And now he's with Tennessee, who hasn't been very good in the past decade or two. But Tennessee seems like they're trending upward after a very tumultuous decade. And the only thing you can really ask for at this point is life in the program, right? Yeah. When Garantano was there, there was no life whatsoever. Any life that was ever there was immediately squashed by a bullshit dumb play by Garantano at some point in the game. And I mean, don't don't even get me started on Jeremy Pruitt. That was a, a whole disastrous experiment there. But Josh Heupel has... What about Greg Schiano? Yeah, that was a, that was a nice, uh, crazy, crazy... Was that even a day? Was it like a week that they had him hired before, before they caved the pressure? So I actually read this report that apparently Greg Schiano all but had Joe Burrow committed to transferring to Tennessee. Man. Could you imagine? No, I couldn't. I couldn't imagine that. That would have been... There's no a- way he would have even been drafted because he wasn't good in LSU. I mean, he was he was okay in LSU's first season, but he wasn't first round material. Yeah, I mean, that is true. But man, what a change of fortunes that would have been. Who would the Bengals be ruining right now? <laughs> we'll have more for you on that one next week <laughs> with that caleb did you watch mississippi state first fandy this week because uh, that was not a close game well here's the thing i was visiting family and i i love my father and the iowa state oklahoma state game was on at the same time he's an iowa state alum so we watched that game instead because i knew that you know we should beat we should either beat Vandy by 40, which is what happened, or it's a game I don't want to watch in the first place because it'll be close and it'll depress me. So yeah, I didn't didn't watch it at all, but I mean, 45 to 6 pretty much self-explains. Little fun fact for you, eight different Mississippi State players had at least four receptions. That is I mean, a fun fact. That's just just silly. I did eight receivers, my goodness, but I mean yeah, it's Vandy. We didn't really learn anything here. Hey, for what it's worth, Will Rogers not really known for his arm strength. Drew Brees wasn't known for his arm strength. Drew Brees did basically the same thing that Will Rogers just did for his I don't entire know. career. I think Drew Brees attempted farther down the field more often. <laughs> and was probably a little more successful. When you look at the numbers, it is staggering how often he does not throw down the field. I mean, just crazy, but I mean, I guess you just got to live with it at this point, right? We're going to give a quick blurb on our favorite team, Cincinnati, who beat Navy 27-20. to 20. Let's go. Fuck the servicemen. Let's go. This game was probably closer <laughs> than it should have been. Since he actually was tied at halftime and could have even been down as much as six or ten points, 
finally Luke Fickle realized that he had the fucking truck in the backfield and just kept running the ball and they weren't really ever worried about losing this game in the second half. I do like that they did play a game that was close and faced some adversity because I feel like the best teams have to play games where they're really close and they still figure out how to win regardless. Yeah, and I respect even if it was Navy. I respect the veterans. You know, my both my parents are veterans, so don't get it twisted. But also, gotta love Cincinnati, the best hybrid mammals in all the fucking land. So I mean, take a back seat, okay? You serve our country, but today yeah. you're getting mauled by a bear cat. It is what it is. Today they're serving their country by getting mauled by a bear cat. Exactly, they're serving the country by entertainment value this time around. Not necessarily military might might here. And you know what? They have a they have a recruiting disadvantage to where they probably shouldn't have been this close in the first place, but it's one of those games where you just got to survive and move forward. They've pretty much killed everyone else they've played so far this year, so I can't really knock them too much for keeping it close here. Whenever you play these service academies, they all run a triple option, and it's one of those things if you can't defend it properly, they just eat up all the clock and muck up the game pretty much, and it ends up like this, so... It is what it is. You can't really knock them too much for this one. I'm glad they kept them at two. Yeah. At the end of the day, they're still 8-0 entering week nine. So there's not too much worry there. Uh, They're still on a collision course with SMU for potentially getting into the playoffs. But with that, we're going to move on to the state of Oklahoma. To an 8-0 team that I feel less good about. Yeah. So we had (laughs) Oklahoma, who was ranked three entering this game, face off against Kansas. Many of you might remember that Kansas is a bad team. Well, today they looked like they were at least 500. I'm pretty sure they only have one win entering this game. It was a very, very close game. It was 35-23, to 23, but if we took out that fourth quarter, Kansas would have won 17-14. to 14. Caleb Williams is... Not living up to my namesake, okay, buddy? Yeah, Caleb Williams is not great. He was very efficient with 15-20. to 20. But he didn't even have 200 yards. He did have a pick, which kind of helped get them into this hole. I believe he had a fumble. But at least he did have the 40-yard touchdown run to kind of make up for his earlier mistakes. I'm not calling him heroics, though, because, well, it's kind of his fault that they were this close in the first place. Yeah, um, I heard some people were unhappy that Oklahoma dropped in the rankings this week. And I'm, I'm telling you now, they're lucky they didn't drop out of the top four because they are not a top four team. I'm honestly surprised OSU didn't take over in the number four spot. Exactly. They're a better team overall. The only reason that they're top four is because they're undefeated. And I think when the, the rankings come out from the committee next week, even if Oklahoma is undefeated, that Ohio State will be in the top four over them. You can, you can book it right now, I think, because, I mean, they lost. They basically lost to Texas in that game. They should have lost to Texas. They haven't had a a single convincing win so far this year against a good team. I mean, no matter who plays QB there, their defense stinks. OSU is a better team overall. They should be in the top four over them. If Oklahoma gets in the playoffs this season, I will personally plaster a flaming bag of my own shit to every single member of the committee's door. Mark my words on this day, October 27th, 2021, that I made this declaration, okay? Because I'm fucking tired of Oklahoma getting all this respect they don't deserve, all right? On the other side of the state of Oklahoma, we had Oklahoma State, who ended up losing in a game that you did watch against Iowa State. But the weird thing, the weird thing is Iowa State was actually favored by seven going, going really? into this game. Like, I mean, they... 
I, I guess the, the line makers really respect the home field advantage that Iowa State has, which, I mean, it makes sense. It's a fucking raucous atmosphere. They stormed the field after this one. They were crazy all throughout the game. I mean, it was a great win by Iowa State overall, but I feel like the one thing that stuck in my mind was the officiating in this one because they really, really grinded my gears with just one one call in particular. They called back an uh, Iowa State touchdown for a premature celebration, which it's not a celebration at all. He literally like raises his arms slightly before nice. he gets to the end zone and they call that back for a legal celebration. I thought Matt Campbell was going to murder that ref. <laughs> he came down the sideline like he was ready for blood right there. And I can't blame him because I fucking, it's everything I hate about football. And at some point we have to hold these refs accountable for their terrible shitty judgment calls. Someone has to be looking over that and saying, okay, clearly this guy's out of his fucking mind right now. We need to overturn this because that's, it didn't end up mattering. They ended up scoring later in the drive anyways, but it's one of those things where it just left a salty taste in my mouth. Not a fan. Yeah. I feel like that's something that's just kind of been plaguing sports in recent memory. I mean, you will constantly hear stories about like Angel Hernandez with the MLB of having notoriously horrible calls. That dude, that dude's so bad that even me, not a baseball fan, knows yeah. about Angel Hernandez. And like, there's calls <laughs> like the Saints in the NFC Championship when there was a very blatant defensive pass interference that wasn't called against them and ended up leading to a loss for them that had no ramifications. The Armando Galarraga perfect yeah. game would have been perfect game yeah. back in the day where they missed the missed the out at first. That one was another tough one that you, they. I think they can go back and review that now, but not at the time. I mean, the yeah, fail it's been, Mary. been a problem for a long time. I mean, yeah, that granted, that was Mary. that was replacement yeah. reps, but still, there does have to be some form of reparation for this because there's Man, a little too those regular much refs. protection for these refs. Yeah. Man, I will say in that situation, those regular refs were probably like, yes, this oh, yeah. is the thing that's going to get us a new collective bargaining agreement because <laughs> this is untenable for the NFL to keep these replacement refs out there. God, that was a terrible time. <laughs> God, we li- we literally had high school refs coaching, not coaching, but refing in NFL games. How crazy was that? Oh yeah, man. And we- they were ready to go with that for the entire season. That was just a horrible, horrible wow. scenario. Like the worst five weeks of football of my life. It was the worst. <laughs> if you're a Penn State fan, though, you might be thinking this was the worst memory as Illinois beat Penn State 20-18 to in nine overtimes. Now... Caleb, I'm not a mathematician here. If you're scoring every overtime, then shouldn't it be closer to like 70 to 75, 80 to 85? How do we only have 38 points? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked, Zach. Well, the uh, NCAA Rules Committee, they like to change the rules every like two years or so for overtime because nothing seems to work. I so, like continuity. Yeah. So in their infinite wisdom, this time around, I mean, they said, hey, they're scoring too much in overtime. The games are taking too long. So let's cut this down right now, okay? So what they've done instead is after, I think, two overtimes, they just trade two-point conversions back and forth until someone doesn't get it pretty much. So you can go to nine overtimes and only score barely any points in the overtime. It's a pretty interesting rule. I don't know if I like it or not, but hey. I guess it guess it doesn't lengthen the game, right? 
I will say, after having watched LSU versus Texas A&M live, which technically wasn't a longer game because it was went to seven overtimes, not nine overtimes, but was definitely longer by time standards because it was normal overtime rules. I definitely prefer the older rules a little more. I mean, to have a game go 20 to 18, I guess if you're a Big Ten fan, you're salivating at the mouth at some bullshit like this. But come on. LSU versus Texas A&M. As the fan who lost this game, 72 to 74, like, what a fucking crazy way to end a game. I know it's a real, like, old man get off my lawn take, but, I mean, can't we just fucking kick off the ball in overtime? Like, actually play football instead of, like, staging these scenarios? Like, I feel like there's something to be said about just, I don't know, playing it where every team gets a chance to score, except for just playing the football game. Like, don't you think that would be a little bit better than just doing this nonsense with the two-point conversions? This is an actual football. It's just fucking, like, tiebreaker shit. Like, playing rock, paper, scissors after the game is done to see who won. Like, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, I think at the very least, they need to go back to the older ways of having touchdowns and then maybe just, like, force them to score two-point conversions, whatever. But having them just complete two-point conversions for six overtimes is clearly not working, and it's... It's just a really dumb rule. That being yeah. said, <laughs> James Franklin just had an absolute signature loss here. This is exactly what we've expected James Franklin to do year in and year out. Not at all disappointed by the way that this game turned out. Yeah, and uh, following this game, uh, that head coach James Franklin, when asked about his, uh, when asked for his comments about the uh, ongoing rumors that he might leave Penn State, asked about his commitment to the team, he said, and I quote, my focus is completely on Illinois and this team and this program. Uh, if you don't know, he plays Ohio State this week. Yeah, didn't they just play Illinois? Yep. And further, he goes on to also refer to a big challenge of playing in the big house against Ohio State this week. Uh, do you know who plays in the big house, Zach? That's Michigan. <laughs> it's, not only is it not Ohio State, it's their arch rival, to which I would say, it seems like you're not entirely focused on this football team here. Maybe, just maybe, you're having a few eh, backdoor conversations with some teams across the country. Maybe on the Pacific Coast. Let's I don't say. know, man. From what I've heard, he's not considering that job. But clearly, there's something going wrong here. Uh, that, neither was Dan Mullen. That's neither also Neither was fair. Dan Mullen, you know. <laughs> they're always lying out their teeth when they're talking about the next job, man. We're going to move on to the Pac-12, where we had Oregon against a very solid UCLA game. And we thought last week that this would be one of those games that would be very good. UCLA is one of those fringe ranked teams. They have a very, very experienced team, a very good rushing attack with their quarterback. And we were not disappointed. Oregon handled business here, 34 to 31. However, Anthony Brown, he had 391 total yards. There were 435 yards in this game from Oregon. That's putting the team on your back right there. (laughs) (laughs) Their running back, Travis Die UCLA Die, had four touchdowns as a running back on 35 yards. Now, that is less than 10 rushing yards per touchdown. That's some efficiency right there. That's like Jameis Winston versus Packers kind of efficiency right there as a running back at that. 
I mean, at that rate, he's getting what, like a hundred touchdowns per a thousand yards? Just keep feeding yeah. him the ball, man. The guy's a fucking machine. He'll get you a four yard touchdown at the twenty five. Yeah, and UCLA's offense on the other side was really solid, other than the fact that they actually were very inefficient. Their defense ended up keeping them in the game because they had uh, three turnovers to their name, which kept them very close, including two interceptions. But in the end, Oregon handles business, and just like Cincinnati, they're winning these very close, tough games that's helping keep them in contention. Because let's be honest, Oregon is the last hope for the Pac-12 and for anyone who doesn't want to see the Big Ten in the playoffs. Absolutely, and I think UCLA is actually a pretty sneaky good team here. Like, I think they're, they probably should be ranked over some of those teams that are towards the bottom. Like, I don't really know how good UTSA is, even though, I don't know. They're, I mean, they're 8-0, but who have they played? Basically nobody this year. So, I, I don't know. I feel like they don't get as much respect because they're on the West Coast, but they'll probably get to a bowl this year and surprise somebody if I had to guess but yeah Oregon is the last hope for the Pac-12 they've got to win out and even then it might not be enough yep with that we're gonna go on to the final power five conference in the ACC where well everyone kind of loses in this division Pittsburgh beat Clemson Wake Forest is undefeated Other that's than Wake true Forest, Wake yeah, Forest actually kind of absolutely decimated Army they put like 70 points on them this past week did you see how much Army scored though? <laughs> they scored fifty six. Was it fifty six? I thought it was. I thought it was like fifteen. Dude, it was neck and neck until the fourth quarter, and then they turned on the gas. I mean, they probably scored like thirty to forty points in the fourth quarter alone. It was it was a crazy game to watch just from a stat line standpoint. It was just one of those where you look at your phone, and you're like, "Damn, they scored again! What the hell? They what? <laughs> it keeps happening." Like, I didn't think Army could score 56 points. I mean, that's that's incredible. Well, they've got a new coach a over there, option. so I don't think they run the triple option anymore. They have a new coach. I think they started passing no the ball a little way. more. Hold on. I got to yeah. look up the stat line. Because there was a year, like two or three years ago, where they actually went like 10-0 and to start the season. They ended up being ranked for the first time in tons of years and were actually like this new and improved Army team, but... They're still, at the end of the day, one of those... Oh. They, 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 passed, they passed 12 times oh, in the so game. Wrong, what man. are you talking about? Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> they, they passed the ball 10 times. <laughs> they had one, two, three, four different ball carriers have 10 plus carries. <laughs> Fair enough. So yeah, they're still they're still a triple option team, I would say, at the end of the day. But hey, the, Wake Forest came out of it with the win. They're sneakily ranked up in the top fifteen there. So hey, could be worse for them, right? Mm, yeah, I guess so. They don't really have any quality opponents in conference play. I guess Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh beat Clemson. I think they're in the lead in that division. NC State ended up losing to Miami. That was pretty bad as Travis, don't call me Dick Van Dyke, had 325 yards and four touchdowns. But I guess the big story here is that DJ Uyagalale had 128 yards on less than 50% completion and he had two interceptions. It's uh, really showing how undisciplined Clemson is when they don't have a godsend at quarterback. Yeah, yeah, it's... uh. DJ, DJ Uyunglele is not the guy. They got to go to the next guy. He's, uh, 
he's he's proven pretty definitively if you can't light up the ACC you're you're not a power five quarterback I don't think he needs to transfer to a lower level school where he can get more more playing time that he is actually useful he can learn some more stuff but Clemson is not the place they I'm sure they've got a five star behind him they need to sit him down on the bench and that's you know Clemson is done they stink I don't know I don't know if they'll come back next year they might end up the next guy might end up being a little bit better, but I don't know, man. With the way Georgia's going, the way Alabama continues to go, we'll see if they fall by the wayside or not. I don't know if Dabo Sweeney is one of those guys that can connect with this younger generation because he talks like an old-ass man, I'll tell you that much. And the thing is that before Deshaun Watson came to Clemson, Dabo Sweeney was actually a very mediocre coach. It wasn't until they had Deshaun Watson... And then I guess Kelly Bryan for the year that he started. Well, they had Taj Boyd before him, right? So I mean, that was that was yeah. Still but solid. they made bowls. They they weren't like in championship contention. No, but they were still like a ten win team any given year. They obviously elevated themselves when they got Deshaun Watson in the program. But that's kind of true for everyone that gets a good quarterback, right? Or a great yeah. quarterback and a great team around him, right? Either way, uh, it's really showing that Trevor Lawrence was just as good as he was in college yeah. as. Clemson is very firmly out of the top 25 and will be for the rest of the year. And uh, I think it's probably safe to say that the ACC is the worst Power 5 division, right? Like, they're probably worse than the Pac-12 at this point. Yeah, I would put them below the Pac-12. Pac-12 is 4, Big 12 is 3, then Big 10 or SEC, I mean, it could be either either or on any given year. I mean, other than that, yeah, they're by far the worst Power 5 conference. I mean, it's not not great over there. With that, we're going to go to the group of five and just go over a few quick headlines, not get too, too much in this uh, Cincinnati one, as we already discussed with Navy. The 21st ranked SMU beat Tulane 55 to 26, also in the American League. So SMU and Cincinnati are headed for a collision course. That's going to be a great game to watch to help really cement either spot potentially in the playoffs. Coastal Carolina, who was ranked 14th entering this week, Lost to everyone's favorite underdog of Appalachian State. Right down the road from me, actually. I think they're less than an hour from my apartment. And San Diego State in the Mountain West at rank 22 beat Air Force 20-14. to Again, those military academies are playing these games really close. But hey, they all lost, unfortunately, for them. And then UTSA ranked at 24 in their first appearance as well for Conference USA. Defeated La Tech 45-16. to Neither San Diego State nor UTSA will be playing another ranked opponent for the rest of the season. So I don't think either is going to make the playoffs, but it's very realistic that they could win out for the rest of the season. Yeah, and we'll talk a bit a bit later about San Diego State because I think this, is, this one this week could be one that they actually end up losing. But up until this game, UTSA hadn't really blown out a whole lot of teams. I could also see them losing again this year, but I honestly want two of like the lower ranked teams that are undefeated to play against each other in a bowl, like the Chanticleers versus the Roadrunners we were talking about before. I need those lower level teams that I haven't heard of but are ranked to be on my TV come December, January, all that stuff. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think at this point we're looking at uh, a very classic Aztecs versus Roadrunners matchup, possibly. Aztecs versus Roadrunners. I believe Aztecs used to eat Roadrunners back in the day. I'm not a historian. Well, are there Roadrunners in I, South America? I have no... They sound like something that might be in Mexico. I think Roadrunners are in the South, but like well, Central Aztecs America... Well, Aztecs are in South America. 
Oh man, my geography stinks sometimes. I didn't. You're I didn't, thinking of the Mayans. Yeah, that's right. Well, I think the Aztecs are technically a part of the Maya people. If you're gonna get technical about it, you know. But anyways, we have we have. I don't Duval. know. We're a sports we podcast. Duval. We're not a history podcast here. Yep. The AP rankings came out. Uh, Georgia's still one. Bama's up at three over OU, which they should. OU's at four, which. You know how much I hate that. We've been over that. We don't have to belabor that point. Oregon. Look, they, they're undefeated, so, I mean, you got to give them props for now. If they don't deserve it, they're going to lose to somebody, okay? I have faith that the process will work out for Oklahoma to fuck something up finally. Yep, they're going to make everyone cry if they keep winning. That's all I'm saying. But uh, Oregon got up to 7th from 10th last week. Uh, Iowa and Ole Miss traded spots. I think Iowa's at 9, Ole Miss is at 10. Penn State dropped down to 20, Coastal Carolina down to 24 after their losses. Oklahoma State dropped down to 815. Wow, I didn't even know there were 800 teams in college football. <laughs> yeah, a uh, little, little pull back the curtain here. Zach made an oopsie in the uh, in the dock, and I had to read it out loud because it just it tickled me pink whenever I saw it, but that's, that's hilarious. They dropped down to 15th. Pitt went up to 17th, so they're they're ranked now. They're one, you know, they've at least got two ranked teams in the ACC. Good for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Iowa State came up into the uh, top 25 again this season at 22, and BYU re-enters at 25, to which I say, after feeling the love in Utah over the weekend, let's go, Jesus Christ, man. Let's go, for the love of Jesus Christ, man. Let's do it. All right, so... That was uh, that was pretty concise for the people. Very thorough. With that, we're going to move into the key games for this upcoming week. We're going to start with the American Conference, where we have the second-ranked Cincinnati taking on Tulane. That should be a stomp. If Cincinnati's for real, they're going to win this game, and they're going to be 9-0. On the other side, we have the now 19th-ranked SMU, bumped up two spots, facing off against a 6-1 Houston. I think that this is going to be a very solid game. Houston's probably one of those teams who probably has votes, if I had to guess, and might even be in the top 25 next week if they beat SMU. They've got a very solid defense and a very good run game. But SMU is one of those teams that loves, loves, loves to pass. So it's really going to be big on if Houston can stop the pass and get their run game going. Mm -hmm. And I mean, yeah, like you were talking about earlier, I mean, Cincinnati's playing Tulane this week. They should they should absolutely body Tulane like they have pretty much every other bad team they've played. So we can just set that aside. SMU and Houston should be a pretty good game. I expect that to be pretty close. Interconference rivalry sort of thing. Houston's not ranked, but they're 6-1. and one, And they always have some good players there because, you know, they don't respect the rules as much as everybody else, even before this whole whole wild west of uh, name, image, and likeness thing was going on. So, I mean, they always have a good team down there. Houston's a great city as well. I mean, I don't know a whole lot about Houston's team as a whole, though, to be honest with you. I know SMU is a very good team. I don't know a whole lot about Houston's team, but I think it, the more SMU wins, the better it is for Cincinnati in the end when they eventually get to face them at the end of the season. So I think I'm rooting for SMU in this one. For what it's worth, I think that even if SMU loses, Cincinnati will have to play Houston anyway. So either way, we might win here. But that's enough for the American Conference as we're going to move on to Big Noon Saturday. And Caleb, to start the weekend off right, we have a top 10 matchup between Michigan and Michigan State. 
this game feels right. It also feels right because Mel Tucker is actually getting a lot of praise for his work with Michigan State's defense. He's actually in the LSU head coach contention, for what it's worth. I am excited to see Jim Harbaugh fuck up a game somewhere along the line, and this seems like the perfect game for him to mess up. This feels like where Michigan's playoff hopes start to unravel, I would say, because this is the real meat of the schedule starting right here against Michigan State, and they haven't played anyone thus far this year, and I mean, they haven't looked good against anyone thus far this year, I would say. I mean... I, I feel like Michigan State should come out with this one, but somehow Michigan is still favored because I guess they're they're ranked higher. I expect Michigan State to come out and honestly bully them on the ground. Ken Walker should go over 1,000 yards for the season emphatically in this one. He might be over 1,100 by the end of it. Yeah, and I think Michigan State, by pretty much every measurable, is better on offense. And, I mean, that alone should push them up. And they're not known as an offensive team either, you know? They're known as a defensive team, so that should bode not bode well for Michigan. I can't wait for, like, Michigan State to win and Michigan to drop to, like, ninth place and still be in the top ten, even though there's no way that they actually deserve to be in the top ten. I think they're probably the weakest top ten team currently. Hot take. Yeah, that's the power That's the power of a big-time brand right now. They're, ah, Jesus, I can't talk right now. But, I mean, Michigan, they're, they're always ranked this high for no fucking reason. If they, if they get an opportunity to rank one of these Blue Bloods high, just look at Notre Dame, always way ranked above where they should be pretty much every time. And it's the same thing for Michigan. If they show even a little bit of spunk, like going 7-8-0 to start the year, oh, they'll they'll find any excuse they can to rank them highly. You know how it is. Across the Big Ten, however, we have the previously mentioned Penn State versus Ohio State matchup coming up. Penn State is currently ranked number 20, while Ohio State is fifth. I think we can agree that this is definitely an Ohio State win. Uh, Penn State is very classic Big Ten of having a really shitty offense, but being solid at defense. But the thing is that Ohio State is the rare Big Ten team that is just complete. And C.J. Stroud has been very solid as of late. Uh, He might even start getting some Heisman nods possibly, but he's definitely much more comfortable. And I don't really expect this to even be close, to be honest. Yeah, me either. I think Ohio State's going to pull away with this one. I just think James Franklin is not all in it right now. I mean, we, we joked about it earlier, but those comments show you, I mean, he's at the very least distracted, if nothing else. And when you're distracted... You can't really be a head coach and be all all in with your team right there. So, yeah, I think Ohio State is a better team overall. They'll probably win this one. But if C.J. Stroud comes out and lights up Penn State, I'm calling it right now, he's the Heisman frontrunner. You think over Matt Corral? I think over Matt Corral, man. I think he's, And Bryce Young? He's been that good this year. Over the past three games, so far over the past three games, 14 touchdowns, zero interceptions, just under 74% completion. Overall... He's got 22 touchdowns, three interceptions this year, 67% completion. I mean, the guy has the numbers there. He just needs to prove it against big-time competition, which I think he's going to have every opportunity to. If he keeps doing what he's been doing the past couple days, he's going to – past couple games, sorry. He's going to run away with this thing, I think. Boy, at the very least, he'll definitely be in Heisman contention for the next few years, I think, because this dude's a freshman. He's only a freshman. Yeah, so he's got a few years at least that he'll have to play. But with that, we're going to move into the SEC, which is the best conference we all know, unequivocally better than everybody else. We're going to start with the number one ranked Georgia, who is the best team 
in all of college football right now, facing off against Florida. Now, the only things I think that Florida have going for them is that they are coming off of a bye and they're playing in the swamp. That being said, they struggled and lost to a reeling LSU team. And Georgia, again, is a complete team. Even if they have a quarterback controversy, Stetson Bennett is doing enough to where they're winning regardless of who they even start. And UGA is just better than literally everyone else. UGA, we're going to look back on this team, I think, a lot like we look back on the LSU team a couple years ago with Joe Burrow, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Derek Stingley, like all the all the players that were on that team. We're going to look back in a couple years when all these kids are in the NFL and be like, holy shit, they were all on the same team for a little bit. I mean, they're just too talented. I think they're going to blow out Florida and uh, yeah, suck it then. With that, we have Ole Miss versus Auburn, a quality matchup where Ole Miss eked into the top 10 as we expected to possibly happen when they won this past week. And Auburn is still hanging on to a rank at 18th. I think the big question here is if Bo Nix is going to be good or bad. I've been saying all season long, he's got that real Jekyll and Hyde persona. And when you play against Ole Miss, you have to keep up with their offense because you might slow them down. But as they showed against LSU last week, even if you hold them to seven points in the first quarter, they'll still find a way to score at least 30, if not 40 on you. Mm-hmm. And I think Ole Miss is a better team than Auburn. But the fact that it's in Jordan Hare is a bit of an equalizer here. I mean, Bo Nix always seems to draw inspiration from that, and he's playing against the Ole Miss defense, which he's going to get allowed to run around for 8 seconds, 15 seconds, throw the ball down the field 70 yards to a receiver that's not really open, but he somehow finds a way to complete it. This feels like one of those Bo Nix games coming, so I just want it to be a fun game and for Auburn to win because, you know, go to hell Ole Miss, right? Right, go to hell Ole Miss, but I think that Ole Miss probably takes this because as much as we both hate to say it, we probably have to rank them as the second best team in the SEC West and probably the third best team in the SEC overall at this point. But we're going to go to Kentucky versus Mississippi State. Your boys are playing this week. One big thing that I have for this is I think Mississippi State's front seven is strong enough to make this a competitive game. But I also kind of thought that of LSU and Kentucky turned them into Kentucky Fried Tigers. I mean, fair enough there, but... The defense is legit, and they're legit enough to stop an offense that, frankly, is not dynamic in any way, shape, or form. They don't really push the ball down the field. Will Levis is efficient, but he doesn't throw more than, like, five yards down the field, which sounds like a QB I know, namely Will Rogers. They have the same first name. They do have the same first name. Coincidence? Probably. But I think Mississippi State will keep it close in this one because it's in Davis Wade. They always feed off that crowd. It's one of the best environments in all of college football. You've been there. It's fucking impossible to hear when it's going. <laughs> I mean, you, you leave with a, a just a stinging headache. It's just one of the greatest environments out there. But in addition to that, I mean, two very good corners in Emerson and Forbes, plus a front seven that's perpetually nasty because we're in Mississippi. Add that to a, an offense that I think can move on this Kentucky defense, and we're going to keep it close at the very least. I don't know if we're going to end up winning, but we're going to stay in this one till the very end. Yeah, I think one thing about Davis Wade is it really shows SEC at its finest because Mississippi State doesn't necessarily have the storied past 
that some of these other SEC teams have, but their fans are some of the most passionate fans ever. As you said, I've been to Davis Wade with you, and the Cowbills that they have are the most annoying shits in the world, but they do provide that unique atmosphere that you don't find anywhere else, and it's a very fun environment, whether you're winning or losing, to be a part of. Yeah, I think I may have permanent hearing loss from going to like basically oh, every, yeah. basically every home game for like three years that I was there. But uh, yeah, moving on from that, I think Mississippi has a chance. But hey, Mountain West Midnight, like we were talking about before, Fresno State versus San Diego State. What do you think about this one, Zach? Yeah, I think that Fresno State's going to expose San Diego State to be a team that hasn't played anyone. Fresno State, the more I did research is way better at offense. I'm just give you a few quick stats here. Fresno State's offense is averaging 480 yards per game. Very, very good, actually. Meanwhile, San Diego State is averaging 328 yards. That is not very good for a team that's undefeated and for a team that needs to blow out their opponents to get consideration. With that, the quarterback for Fresno State, Jake Hayner, is a solid 68% completion, just 1% higher, and he'd be the golden ratio. He has 2,600 passing yards, 22 touchdowns, 6 interceptions. This man is doing everything that Fresno State needs him to do, and he is carrying their team to some relevance. Meanwhile, San Diego State's Jordan Brookshire is 48% with 500 yards, 2 touchdowns, and a pick. Is he the starting QB? So I thought that same thing. They do have another quarterback who's right behind him who is about the same, actually a little bit worse completion and has 300 passing yards. So they legitimately have less than a thousand passing yards for the entire season. This all just screams to me that Fresno State is going to win this game because they're just going to show what a real offense looks like. Yeah, and listen, I know literally nothing about either of these teams. I mean, the way you laid it out, it sounds like San Diego's a bit old Fronsky doodle, but I mean, just looking at the two cities here, San Diego, way nicer than Fresno, California, by all accounts here, all right? You're living in the lap of luxury in San Diego, okay? Makes you soft, all right? Makes you makes you get a little bit comfortable. Like, okay, I'm okay with this. We're ranked 21. This is all right. Our offense stinks, but we're ranked 21. Meanwhile, in Fresno, California, they're hardening their edges. They're getting better as a football team. They're getting grittier as a football team. And for that, grittier team wins here. Bulldogs by 1,000. Let's go. All right. I respect that. With that, we're going to move to the MLB, actually. A quick sidebar, actually. Aaron Judge, who is one of the best baseball players, actually went to Fresno State. So a little, little fun fact for you there. Oh, there you go. But his Yankees are not in the World Series. Instead, we have the Atlanta Braves and Houston Astros. As we're recording this, we're about an hour to an hour and a half before the second game's taking place. But I did watch the first game. As I saw from your tweets, you did not watch the game at all because you're a horrible sports fan, but it's okay. Yeah, yeah. That's- it, it's okay, though, because it was very strange. So as a little bit of context, the Braves were just around 500 at the trade deadline. And instead of just throwing in a towel, selling off all their star players, selling off Charlie Morton, Freddie Freeman, Ronald Acuna Jr., if that's even possible, they brought in some players. They brought in Ozzy Albies. I believe they brought in Jorge Soler as well. And they ended up having a nice surge up. And they really showed that if you have a chance, you need to shoot your shot. You need to go for it. This is a message for all y'all who are looking for girlfriends. Shoot your shot, man. 
go talk to your crush, you know, because the Braves are in the World Series now and they are up 1-0 as Charlie Morton puts together a very solid two innings. Now, let's also consider the fact that this man had a comebacker hit him in the leg and basically shatter his fibula and he still proceeded to plant on that leg and throw two more strikeouts against what was a traditionally potent Astros team. He threw a 96 mile per hour fastball with a broken leg. That's grit. It's a beast. It's a beast right there. But I mean, having him out for the rest of the series, that's a big loss for the Braves right now. I mean, that's yeah. a that's yeah. a killer. He's the ace on the staff as far as I'm concerned. I know they have... Do they have a solid pitching staff, or is he really the, really it there? Yeah, their pitching staff is probably better than the Astros' pitching staff, I would say, at this point. I know that they have Max Freed as starting tonight. I think it's pronounced Freed. It's spelled like fried. But um, he's also been very solid this year. And it really showed because Altuve, Bregman, and Correa, like the three big trio of the Astros, went 0-12 this past game with a single walk, a single RBI, and six strikeouts between the three of them. When you're throwing the ball that well, like you can expect the Braves are going to win every single time. Exactly. I mean, all they got to do is get hot for the next three games to win, basically. I mean, if they end up winning the series at this point, they'll make movies about this team, man. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, no doubt. When you lose your your starting pitcher in the World Series and can turn around and win, I mean, that's a that's a movie-worthy story right there, but they're, they're a long way from that. And it's going to be an uphill battle against an Astros team that objectively has a better roster top to bottom than them. At this point, though, Braves are looking better. They've got a better pitching staff, though they did lose their ace. And, I mean, everyone's hitting on their team. So, I'm thinking the Braves might end up taking this one probably in six if I had to guess. Hey, weird things can happen in baseball. I wouldn't be surprised. With that, we've got a couple stories for you. It's story time with Zach and Caleb as... Ooh, no more sports. No, no, no. Sports are over. We've got story time instead. We're going to lull you guys to sleep. So, you know, get real close to the microphone and whisper sweet nothings. Just Go get your blankie bye, kids. Just get your bottle of milk. Get a glass of water. We'll tuck you in for bed. We're going to tell you a story. Pop that milk in the microwave for 10 seconds to get it optimum warmth. And with that, Caleb, <laughs> I believe that. You had some wonderful experiences in Utah this past weekend. Would you like to share? Yeah, I'm not going to continue to be close to my microphone for that, but just because, you know, it, it feels more natural to talk this way. But yes, I, uh, over the weekend, took a trip to the Salt Lake City area to uh, visit my family over in Utah. You know, overall, saw some wild bison up close, hiked in the Rockies, made over 200 muffins. It was a pretty damn good weekend. Nice. But uh, What kind of muffins? I mean, all sorts of muffins. I mean, we got... Okay. Blueberry muffins? Those are my favorite. We had banana nut muffins. We had maple almond nuff- muffins. Ooh, we those had, are good. Sneaky or maybe good maple pick. walnut nothing. Still good. I can't fucking talk right now. Poppy seed muffins. We Ooh. had pumpkin muffins. We had all Ooh. sorts of fucking muffins. We made over 200 of them, though. We do it every year. It's a whole tradition thing, yada, yada, yada. That's not what I'm here to talk about. I respect. On the, on the first day that I was there, the day that I flew in, we went directly from the airport that I arrived at, got some Burger King, and headed over to a, uh, a little tour of Temple Square, which, for those of you not informed... That is the Mormon Church headquarters, just to get the full experience of Utah while I was there. And I had a few interesting observations. And I mean, this is all 
not trying to criticize the religion or anything. This is all just academic-ish observations here. Just first and foremost, get it out of the way. Obviously, they really love Jesus. I mean, everything you ask them somehow related back to Jesus in some way, shape, or form, which was incredible. Also, not surprising given that, that it's a uh, religion's headquarters, right? Um, other than that, though, everyone made a point to be really friendly to you at times. And if you asked anything, they basically got back to Jesus. So, hey... Again, they're in a church. Not necessarily surprising. The weird start part's happening, I think around like 20 minutes after we get there. I'm just like, all of a sudden I noticed like, hey, there's no dudes around here. Like, not one. Like, not a single dude was working in the entire temple when we were there. Apparently, the guys are out proselytizing, going door to door during the day. So, you know... They're the favorite group of people in town. Let me tell you that much. Yeah. But uh, all the all the female missionaries were there to uh, just give tours and stuff, work in the temple, I guess. So, yeah, it was all like 18, 19-year-old girls giving tours in pairs at the temple all day. I mean, it was a little bit strange. They also dressed in, like, grandma's clothing, which I guess it's some religious thing where skin is bad and it... it, it tempts the man with the the voice of the devil or some shit like that i i have no idea where all that comes from but uh also the the girls weren't flirtatious by any means but they were like super super friendly and i mean at one point apparently interesting little fun fact here they can't be alone with a man or i I don't necessarily (laughs) yeah i don't necessarily know how it works all i know is that there was one worker that came over to our family as a group just like answering a question by herself about the area or where, where we should go next, go up to the botanical gardens. I think we were looking at and her little partner at the front desk was giving me and my dad a death glare. I mean, a straight up, like she did not trust the male race at all, which I'm like, this is, this is interesting. How about that? Didn't think that would happen today. I don't think they wanted you to tempt their innocent Mormon girls with your heathenist ways. I think so. I think so. The, did not see a single man while I was there, though. Craziest, weirdest thing in the whole world. But at the end of the day, all of this came together in my mind, and I'm like, oh, this is basically an unofficial recruiting visit to the Mormon church when you take this visit. They're hoping they can entice you with some beautiful young women, give you some words about Jesus and love and all of that stuff. Like, oh, might be inspired. All this so you might maybe come back and take an official visit, maybe commit to Mormon U one day. I think I like LSU's recruiting strategy a little more because, well, when football players go there, they tend to get them lots of pizza, a shitload of alcohol, and borderline strippers. That sounds a little more fun to me. Yeah, and I'm not going to really get into their uh, religious beliefs per se, but they have some interesting stories about how their uh, their whole civilization over there in Utah came to be. Just go ahead and do yourself a favor and, and look it up sometime. You might have a introspective thought or two, you know? You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Well, hey, if you've ever heard of this cool site called Amazon, they sell books, you know. Well, (laughs) I hate to say it, but I'm pretty sure they're like the most highly valued company in the entire world right now. Who owns them? Jeff Bezos? Is that his name? No, it's it's Beverage Bezos, actually. Beverage Bezos, gotcha, okay. Yes, yes. Well, they sell this cool little book called The Book of More. So uh, if you're interested in Mormonism, Check it out, I guess. They got ran out of the North because they had so many wives and people didn't like that. Fun fact. Yeah, it's about... (laughs) 
True, true. They're known for their polygamy. <laughs> I, over the weekend, had a completely different weekend as my family likes to get together and order some takeout and watch a movie. And Dune happened to come out this past weekend. Maybe you've heard of it. Dennis Villeneuve is the director on it. Directed some other good sci-fi movies. He's, he's only my favorite director, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. And so my father had found this DoorDash coupon that said that you get 50% off of your order. Now, we hadn't had sushi in a while. So we're like, okay, let's get some sushi. When we order sushi, we like to get, you know, we like to get a little bit of everything. We get some egg rolls, we get some crab rangoons, we get some fried rice, and we just get a bunch of different types of sushi and just share it all together. It ends up being about $150 worth of sushi at the end of the day. For four people, or sorry, three people, not that bad. Well, we decided instead of getting it for $75, we were just, we're just going to up it. We're going to pay $150 regardless, but we're going to get $300 worth of food. So, you know, we're busy, we're strategizing, we're figuring out what's the best way to get the most bang for our buck, get everything that we can. Turns out the restaurant didn't take the discount. So like, all right, all right, well, fine. We'll go to like the local Mexican joint or pizza joint or wherever and use it. Turns out this coupon in the fine print says mm. you can only use it up to $15 of an order. Yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy. A far cry from 150 It's crazy how they do that to you. <laughs> so we decided, fuck it. We're going to get sushi. We got $150 worth of sushi for $150 and watched Dune while getting drunk on sushi. Hey, pretty solid weekend on both sides right there. I mean, I, I traveled over 3,000 miles and... You stayed home and ate sushi. I mean, great in different ways for sure. But uh, I think that's pretty much all for us this week. Uh, if you enjoyed the episode, subscribe, leave a five-star rating so we can grow this bad boy a little bit. If you didn't enjoy it, go away. I don't want you here. Just leave after you leave a five-star rating, of course. Uh, we put out episodes twice a week, NFL on Tuesdays, college football on Thursdays going forward here. We reserve the right to change that, all right? Just just leave it to us, Okay. Follow us on Twitter at Caleb Verzak and at Zachary W. Mullen. Links will be in the description. I can't fucking talk today. Uh, so you don't have to actually spell that when you go to Twitter. You can thank us later for that. I got you. Uh, thank you for tuning in to Unqualified Analysis. And as always, we have zero clue what we're talking about. I mean, we are dumbasses. See ya.